This morning, it's, um, it's my privilege to share God's Word with all of you, and I'm, I'm really thankful for the privilege that we have to, to gather together this morning, um, to have God's Word open, and um, I'm certainly excited to see what God can do through this message in your life, um, as He's certainly dealt with me in my life. Um, I want to, you can open your Bible to 1 Kings chapter 3. 1 Kings chapter 3. But I want to start off by saying I wrote something on the top of the board. It says, right now counts forever. And um, I think this is going to be somewhat of a theme for this message. It's not the title, but it's something that I want, to, want you to keep in your heart, keep in your mind, because I think that thought is can take you very far. To think about what you're doing right now has eternal value, has eternal consequences. Um, I was reading to a a series of lectures on the topic called secularism. And secularism is essentially the philosophy or the idea that there is no transcendent realm. There is no transcendent, there's no God, there's no eternity, there's none of that. So in other words, your life is confined, is fixed to this temporal time that we have, this, this, this structure, that's all that there is. And so essentially in secularism, right now counts for right now. Right now, do what you want, do as much as of, it, uh, uh, of you want. If you have an opportunity to steal for your own gain, do it, because right now only counts for right now. And um, it's exactly the opposite that I think Scripture um, teaches us, and it's exactly the opposite that um, we'll see um, came or was true for Solomon in his life. Have a look at um, 1 Kings chapter 3, and let's read from verse 5. It says, um, In Gibeon the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, And God said, Ask what I shall give thee. And Solomon said, Thou hast showed unto thy servant David, my father, great mercy, according as he walked before thee in truth and in righteousness and in uprightness of heart with thee. And thou hast kept for him this great kindness, that thou hast given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. And now, O Lord, my God, thou hast made thy servant king instead of David my father. And I am but a little child. I know not how to go out or to come in. And thy servant is in the midst of thy people, which thou hast chosen a great people that cannot be numbered nor counted for multitude. Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people that I, that I may discern between good and bad. For who is able to judge this um, thy so great a people. And the speech pleased the Lord. So Solomon, um, that Solomon asked, had asked this thing. And God said unto him, Because thou hast asked this thing, and thou hast asked, not asked for thyself long life, neither hast asked riches for thyself, nor hast asked the life of thine enemies, but hast asked for thyself understanding to discern um, judgment. Behold, I have done according to thy words. Lo, I have given thee a wise and an understanding heart, 
so that there was none like thee before thee. Neither after thee shall any arise like unto thee. And I have also given thee that which thou hast um, that, that which thou hast not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be any among the kings like unto thee in all thy days. Now, you're all surely familiar with the story how Solomon gets this opportunity to ask anything of God, and what he asks for is an understanding heart, how to, how to deal with God's people, how to go through this life as this king of Israel and to do it in a wise and an understanding way. That's where Solomon starts. He starts in a position of, of favor. He starts in a position of obedience. He starts in a position of humility. He starts in a position of this dependence on God for all the things that he is about to embark on. That's where his journey starts. In 1 Kings chapter 11, you can turn to 1 Kings 11, and even though that was his beginning, we read something very different closer to the end of his life. First Kings chapter 11 and verse 4. First Kings 11 and verse 4. It says, For it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God. As, it, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Zidonians, and after Milcom, and, um, the abomination of the Ammonites. And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord, and went not fully after the Lord, as did David his father. Then, so, then did Solomon build an high place for Chemoth, the, um, the, abo- the abomination of Moab, in the hill that is before Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the children of Ammon, And likewise did he for all his strange wives, which burned incense and sacrificed to their gods. And the Lord was angry with Solomon, because his heart was turned from the Lord God of Israel, which had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods, but he kept not that which the Lord commanded. Wherefore the Lord said unto Solomon, for as much as this is done of thee, and thou hast not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded thee, I will surely rend the kingdom from thee and will give it to thy servant. Solomon's life made a complete 180. It started off in submission, humility, favor, blessing from God. It ended up serving other gods. Now, the question I, I asked myself when I looked at that is, how did this happen? W- what happened? And you can turn to the book of Ecclesiastes, and I think the book of Ecclesiastes gives us some insight as to what happened in Solomon's life from where he started, what his pursuit was in his life, and how that ended him up where he was. And so that is, the, that is what I want us to look at. I want us to learn the lessons from Solomon's perspective instead of us having to go through it ourselves. Um, We have, as as Christians and as as Bible believers, we, we have the privilege of having the Word of God, having this book that can show us, I want to call it hindsight and foresight in the present. 
you know, when you look back at something you've done, you can say, oh, that was terrible. I shouldn't have done that. I made a flop of that. So that's hindsight, right? But with, with a book like Ecclesiastes, we have the opportunity of hindsight from the perspective of someone else and say, we don't have to make the same mistakes. We don't have to live the life that Solomon lived to end up where he was far away from God. His heart was not right with God. And I also want to caution all of us, before we, before we look at Solomon and shake our heads and say, I can't believe he did that. I, I can't believe, with everything he had going for him, David as a dad, king of Israel, blessings from God, not just, not just physical blessings, wisdom, understanding, all of that, and then God gave him those riches and everything else, having started there. And we shake our head and say, how could he do that? Well, I don't think we should be so quick because we, in some way, are in a similar position. We're saved. If you're saved today, you have everything you need to live a life that is not empty and purposeless and vain. But just like Solomon had that and messed it up, we also can mess up this, this advantage, this privilege that we have. And so I, I'm, I'm thankful for the book of Ecclesiastes as I was preparing for this. I was, I was almost thinking of just doing an overview of this book, but God gave me a, a very specific theme. But this book used to intimidate me to some extent. Like, why has the Bible got such a doom and gloom, <laughs> depressed guy writing a book? Like, that's not, that's not the way I feel. But as I, as I, as I read it and as, as I go through life, I'm realizing this is, a, this is a gift. This is, this is God saying, Solomon, write this book. Give them inside information so that they don't have to live a whole life and end up saying, like Solomon said, look at Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 10. He says in Ecclesiastes 2, he says, And whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my, my heart from any joy, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my portion of all my labor. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought, and on the labor that I had labored to do, and behold, all is vanity and a vexation of the Spirit, and there is no profit under the sun. I don't want that to be the way I look at my life, at the end of my life, right now or at the end. I don't want to say this is a waste of time. And so, by God's grace, I want us to work through this, this book, um, if you look at a few verses, and the, 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 the lesson or the, the title of the lesson is A Purposeful Life. A, remember, that if, you, if you're not familiar with the book of Ecclesiastes, the word vain, vanity, Okay, and the word under the sun. Those are the two phrases and words that come out the whole time. And so he says, if your life is purely fixed on that which is under the sun, on this, on this planet, then you are going to end up in vanity with a life spent in emptiness. If that is what your purpose 
is. So I want to say let's look at what it is to have a purposeful life, not a purposeless or a purpose empty life. What is it? A full life. Before we get into that, let's just close our eyes and ask the Lord to help us. Lord, I, I thank you, Father, for the privilege that we have to, to be able to live a, a life that is full of this purpose, a life that can honor you and a life that can, can glorify you. Um, Lord, thank you for the value that it, that it brings, the depth and the eternal value. Lord, I pray that you please guide us through this, through this time, Lord. Help us to, to see things that apply to us and give us ears to hear and eyes to see and a heart that is humble and, and willing to do something about this. Please be with us now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Whenever I think of the, 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 the idea of um, the purpose of life, I don't know if, you, if you've heard of the, um, I want to say the classical definition or the classical answer that's given to it, and that is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Now, I completely agree with that statement. I think it's biblical. I think it's, it's, it's a great purpose to have in your life is to, to glorify God. So in everything that you do, you seek to honor Him and you, in, you find enjoyment in seeing that this, and my life is lining up with what God wants me to do. And that, 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 that's enjoying this life and enjoying God. But at the same time, I also say, but what, what, what are the details of that? What are the details of glorifying God and enjoying what he has given. Like, how do I, what are the nuts and bolts of that? How do I, how do I have a, a six-step plan, right? The, the, it, I like to make it somewhat less philosophical, less theological, and saying, okay, that's, that's how it applies today. That's how, this, in these areas of life, that is how you can do something about it. And that's, that's what I will endeavor to do. I want us to work through these six points. Um, I've put them there because I think it would be of value for you to write it down. I think it would be of value for you to, to look at it, think about it as we go through it, and say, the Lord is laying his finger on that one or those two. And I think I, should, I need to do something about that. I need to improve on that or whatever it is that the Lord works in your heart. Um, and I really think in a, in, in a world that is really overwhelmed with um, secularism, that's really overwhelmed with things under the sun, and people seeking purpose in those things and, and not finding fulfillment, I think it is so important for us as Christians to look completely different. And so this, this message, I want to say, is, is as much a part of your almost evangelistic effort because it is, it is at the core of your testimony, it is at the core of your life to say that everything that I am doing has purpose because I am doing it because He, God, gave me that purpose. And so I think us as Christians should really um, think about the purpose that we, or the, the, what, where we find purpose in life. All right, so the first thing, Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Now, as, as I've said the book of um, Ecclesiastes gives us this inside information into, into this life of the preacher. And, um, and the things that he found were valuable and the things that he found were ov overwhelmingly empty. 
And I think that's where I want to get our point. So in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, this point number 1, enjoy your portion. Ecclesiastes 5 verse 18 says, Behold, that, that which I have seen, it is good and comely for one to eat and to drink and to enjoy the good of his labor that he taketh under the sun all the days of his life, which God giveth him, for it is his portion. Every man also to whom God hath given riches and wealth and hath given him power to eat thereof and to take his portion and to rejoice in his labor, this is the gift of God. Now, before I get into it, just have a look at Ecclesiastes 9 quickly. Ecclesiastes 9 and, and uh, verse 9. It says, Live joyfully with the wife whom, the, whom thou lovest all the days of thy life of thy vanity, which he hath given thee under the sun all the days of thy vanity, for that is thy portion in this life and in thy labor which thou takest under the sun. So here are two things that are referred to as your portion, and that is the labor, that, that which you do every day that consumes most of your time, and your wife or your husband, so your spouse. Now, those are two very practical things, and I, I almost want to say it is an incredible obvious statement to say that you need to enjoy what you are doing with your hands, what you are laboring, and you need to enjoy the fact that God has given you someone to enjoy that with, right? It's very simple, but you know what? If you think about it, it's actually very easy to not do that. So I, and I speak for myself. We, we, get so, we get so caught up in what needs to be done and how busy this life is and what's happening there and who's saying what and that we actually miss what's happening right in front of us. We miss the, the gift of right now. We miss the gift of spending time with people who love us. We, we have the opportunity, we have a job. We have the opportunity to go to that job. We have the opportunity to, to I want to say, a, a job is a means to an end, right? It's, it's not the end in itself, it's that means to an end. And you have the privilege to do that well. And we can find purpose in doing that. It, it, it's, it, it says it is a gift of God. Now when I say you need to enjoy your portion, um, portion, it means you need to stop. You need to take a look and see what God has given you. And you need to make an effort to do the best with what He has given you. It is much easier to just keep pushing on, just keep hammering through. It's more difficult to say, I'm switching that off, I'm putting that away, I'm not going to do that right now, I'm going to invest, I'm going to spend time in things that are important. It is a gift of God. These things that we have, the privileges that we have to, to work and to actually find good in our labor, to have someone to spend it, that is, that is a gift. It's not, we often think of it as our own hands, our own handiwork, but it is a gift that God has given us. In, in, in Ecclesiastes 5, actually, it goes, it goes on to say, in verse 19, it says, Every man also to whom God hath given riches and wealth, and hath given him power to eat thereof. So, the fact that you have it, 
And the fact that you can eat it and both of those are a gift. Some people have stuff, but they're not able to enjoy those things. And so, I think one of the most important things when it comes to finding purpose, remember, finding purpose under the sun in this life is giving your best in your labor and giving your best to those special people in your life. And using those blessings which God has given you to bless others. And we'll look at that a little bit later. All right, let's have a look at point number two, Ecclesiastes chapter three. Ecclesiastes chapter three. Embrace every season. Embrace every season. Ecclesiastes 3 verse 1 says, To everything, not some things, to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. There is a time, there's a slot, there is an allocated portion of time which is there for a reason. Okay? Verse um, 11, Ecclesiastes 3 11, it says, He hath made everything beautiful in its time, in his time. Now, are you viewing right now, the season, whatever it is you're going through, as beautiful and in its place? That is a tall order. You need to have a much bigger picture mindset to see things like that. If you are going to confine yourself to right here, right now, under the sun, the temporal things of this life, you cannot embrace every season. There is no way. In order to embrace every season, you have to look at what is the big picture. You need to see that God is trying to conform you to the image of Jesus Christ. He is working good in you. He chastises every son whom he receives. So that, that investment of God, even if sometimes it's in a dark season, is something that we should embrace. And you know, this is exactly the mindset that the world is allergic to. To say that I need to, you mean this, this bad thing that's happening right now is not something I should try and run away from and only pursue my own happiness. I'm, I'm so tired of seeing that status. Do what makes you happy, right? Like, pursue your heart and do what makes you happy. As if that is the thing that's going to give you ultimate fulfillment. Th th that's not. It's empty. You can't say that if I, if I get that thing which make me, makes me happy, then when I get that thing that makes me happy, I want the next thing that makes me happy. And you're pursuing this happiness. And in your pursuit of this happiness, you are forsaking everyone else around you because your mind is so fixed on that thing, that person. That, it's just me. And that is not the way that we should love. People say, or let me say, the, the way we handle and the way we react to dark situations is that we hate it, we wish it away, we wish it never existed, and we try and get away from that as, as quickly as possible. And as much as that is my flesh, I know it is your flesh, but have a look at Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 2 says, It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. 
For that is the end of all men, and the living will lay it to his heart. Now, first thing, that is the end of all men. You know how often we forget that we are going to die, and that it can happen any moment. That sometimes is not nearly as close as it should be. But then it says, and the living, so there we are at the house of mourning, and the living, with those who are there, lay it to heart. Of the times when I have had the most, let me say, times of introspection, is times when I am confronted with death. This could be me tomorrow. Death is a real part of life, and we, we, we don't have to dwell in that, but we need to be aware that our life needs to extend beyond that. Verse 3 of chapter 7 says, Sorrow is better than laughter, for by the sadness of the countenance, the heart is made better. And I was thinking about that, and I thought to myself, Wow, I really like a good laugh, you know? And, and, and true, it is. But when I think about it, what what life-changing or mind-changing changes have happened when I had a good laugh. It is in the time, it sort of picks you up a bit and it's nice to have people you can joke with, sure. But that doesn't change the way you think. It doesn't change the way you live. It doesn't change the things that you pursue. It, it, it's in those times when you're confronted with, what am I doing? Where am I going to end up? What is the value of these things that I'm devoting all my time to? And you get confronted with that when you spend time in the house of mourning. Now, thank God that a good, it's going to sound very weird, a good session in mourning, a good time confronted with dealing with the reality of death and sadness and darkness doesn't happen. It should not happen every day because it should provoke enough change in you that it lasts you for quite some time, right? So I'm not saying dwell there, but I'm saying embrace it because it can make such a big difference. And I am young in comparison to many of you, but even in my short life, the experiences I've had in the house of mourning have resulted in a lot um, a lot more change. And off the topic, but I just want to say th this house of mourning is not just when you're confronted with someone else's death. It can be because you messed up so bad and you've put yourself in such a ditch. And from there, you need to reflect and be like, this has caused so much pain, so much trouble, but God can use it. And so you let that change the way you go forward. All right, point number three. Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Less is more. Ecclesiastes 4 and verse 6. It says, Better is a handful with quietness than both hands full with travail and vexation of spirit. Better is a handful than both hands full and vexation of spirit. I want to say the simple life is underrated. The simple life is underrated. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5 says, Let your conversation be without covetousness. That is, 
this insatiable desire to just have more. Let your, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And this, this quietness, this, this um, contentment with one hand full, I think that, um, that speaks to this, this simple life. This peace and rest in knowing that you are doing your best for God with that which you have. You're not trying to stuff yourself. You're not trying to build bigger bonds and lay up more treasure in these bonds. You are, Lord, you've given me this. And I am thankful, and therefore I have quietness because you have given me my portion. Be faithful in that portion, and it may grow. But be faithful in that which he has given. And I think this quietness that it speaks of, it says a handful with quietness. I want to connect it to honest praise and earning an honest wage. <laughs> this man has got stuff because he did something, but he got that stuff because he did honest work. She worked hard, whatever it is, that person did what God wanted. At this, and, then the same, and, and the reason I'm saying that is because the world is telling you to constantly pursue more, to have greater things, to find that next thing. And that is not quietness. That is a rush. That is, that is just a race of acquiring more stuff to no end purpose. It's not quiet and it's not content. You know, I, I read this recently, but Rockefeller, when they asked him, what was your most satisfying million dollars that you've made? That, what, what pursuit did you do where you got a million dollars and that was the most satisfying? His answer was, the next one. It's funny, but think about it. What he's saying is, I have so many of them. But the most satisfying one is the next one. It speaks to that insatiable desire of hands full. I want my hands full. So that's the simplicity in, in the practical sense of the way you conduct yourself and the way you live and, and um, the way you work and just finding that contentment in that which you have. But I also want to draw this through to our walk with the Lord. So have a look at Ecclesiastes 7. Ecclesiastes 7 and um, verse 16. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 16 says, Be not righteous overmuch, neither make thyself overwise. Why shouldest thou destroy thyself? So he's saying, don't think of yourself or don't act as if you are more righteous than you are. Don't lift up yourself and be like, oh, I've, I, I don't struggle with that. Um, I, I, I've, I've got this sorted out. So I want, to, I want to think about simplicity or in a, in a sense, let's call it simplicity in the way you live as a Christian. Don't be righteous over much. Don't be wise over all this. Don't, don't think you have the answer to everything. Don't try and one-up this person the whole time. Then it goes verse 17. Be not overmuch wicked, neither be thou foolish. Why shouldest thou die before thy time? So don't err on this side of, brother, I don't struggle with that. I can show you how to fix that. Don't go there. But at the same time, don't go there where you just 
you're not growing. You're not giving up the sins that are taking hold of you. So be honest. I struggle with this. I need prayer about this. Please help me have that. Don't be like up here and don't, you don't need anyone. But also don't just live in it. Okay? So there is that simplicity in that. Verse 20 says, For there is, none, there is not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. So don't act like someone who's got everything figured out. We all need each other, and in its simplicity in our walk with the Lord. We don't have to act over-righteous. Let's be real. We are struggling. We are fighting the sin, but we are pursuing God in that process. All right, and that brings me to point number four, which is be part of a community. Ecclesiastes chapter four. Ecclesiastes chapter four. This is something that is incredibly, I found very true in terms of purpose under the sun, is be part of a loving community. Ecclesiastes chapter four, verse eight says, there is one alone and there is not a second. So he doesn't have anyone with him. Yea, he hath neither child nor brother, yet is there no end of all his labor. Neither is his eye satisfied with riches, neither saith he, um, For whom do I labor and bereave my soul of good? This also is vanity, yea, a sore travail. His work is his life. And he is saying, Why do I bereave my soul of of good because he's got nothing to no one to bless to serve to help to anything with all his labor because all it is is work 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 because one day one day may never come but his focus is so temporal and what is the purpose he says and I think we have so that we can give so that we can care, so that we can provide. That's why verse 9, right after that says, two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their labor. Before I continue on that, I just want to mention two things. He mentions he's alone, because he has no brother, and he has no child. Okay. Brings me a little bit back to the portion aspect of it. It is a blessing if you have a family where you can have brothers, sisters that you love. It is a blessing to have children, to be the parent. To that, that, that family unit is, is a gift of God. And we should, we should make sure that our children, that we as adults, that we value that. It is a gift of God. It, it, it brings a lot of purpose. And for me, when days are tough, I, I think about the fact that my, my labor is a means to an end. This is not the purpose. The purpose is I can go home and I can provide, I can care, I can give, I can help. And that is what, that, that is very important. That in, in, uh, let me just call it that um, close family. But then, as we read through verse 9 to 11, you can immediately see how that relates to the church. It says two are better than one because they have a re good reward for their labor. They are, there's co-laboring. For if they fall the one shall lift up his fellow. There's the brother that's fallen into sin, he is struggling, but there's someone who can lift him up. But woe unto him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. Again, if two lie together, then they have heat. 
but how can one be warm alone? We have warmth, we have co-laborers, we have restoration because we have a community. That is the way that God made it. That provides meaning and purpose to our lives here under the sun. Galatians 6 verse 1, I'll read it to you. It says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. And then it says, Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ, that loving, that Paul says you can be summarized in love. Then verse 10 says, As we um, therefore have opportunity let us do good unto all men, especially unto them that are of the household of faith. Right? That's community. That is doing good. That is lifting up. That is helping in this community which God has given us. And on that, allow me to say, <laughs> pitching up for church is not being part of a community. Just like pitching up at home does not make you a dad. Being somewhere, I've pitched up, I'm here. That does not make you part. Being part of a community is when you are, when you can be served, when you can serve, when you can give, when you can help, when you know what's going on, when you can strengthen one another, when you can lift someone up. You can't do that if you're not part of a community. Point number five, Ecclesiastes chapter five. Self-control, that's a mathematical sign, not a, I don't know, greater than. Self-control is greater than self-gratification. Self-control is greater than self-gratification. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 10 says, He that loveth silver shall not, shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. This is also vanity. Verse 12, the sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eat little or much, but the abundance of the rich will not suffer him to sleep. His money gives him indigestion, right? He's got two hands full. He's trying to stuff it somewhere. He doesn't know where to stuff it, and it is actually to his detriment. And so that's why it says, the sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eat little or much. So there's that contentment. There's that handful with quietness. But verse 10 says, he that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver. So that's why I say self-control is greater than self-gratification. I think this is, this is one of the most important for me of these points. And the reason I say that is because society is telling us exactly the opposite. Self-gratification is the thing that's going to satisfy. So self-control is more important than self-gratification. You see, I, the, the, the silver in this verse is not the problem. Look at the verse carefully. He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver. I want your focus to be on satisfied. Because it's not the pursuit of the silver. It is not the acquisition of the silver. It is the thought that I will be satisfied if I have the silver. And that 
is that self-gratification. That is the lie. That is the lie that Adam and Eve fell for. If you eat of this fruit, you'll have what you've, that God has been keeping from you. If, that's what Solomon, in a sense, fell for. He had everything going for him, but Satan came and said, but give yourself over to your every desire. Fulfill every desire. If you've got all this money, you can do every desire. Give yourself over to that. And what's the end of his life? Vanity. So self-gratification, that thought that if I have this, I will be satisfied. So we should rather learn to say no, especially when our flesh starts to lure us with this idea that if you have this, you'll be satisfied. It's not, and that's what I'm saying. It's not the thing. It's, not, it's, it's the thought. So I want to say, if that thought comes up, that, yo, that thing. If, 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 you, if you feel in your heart that tug, that that's going to make me stand out. That's going to make me look successful. That's going, whatever. It's that when you need to exercise self-control over self-gratification. Exercise that restraint. Two Sundays, three Sundays ago, Pastor Mike was preaching a message and the Lord was dealing with me on this thought. What if God gave me everything I desired? What would I have? What if God gave me the choice that Solomon had? What would I have? What what is it that I'm thinking will fulfill, complete my life? Make me fixed, I'm good. What if God gave that to me? Do you know, we won't turn there, but in Isaiah chapter 4, the way God punished His people was by giving them everything they wanted and having them not be satisfied with it. They ate and they didn't get full. They committed whoredoms, and it says, and they didn't increase. So imagine if the thing that you, you think that if I just do this, if I, if, I just, if I just get rid of God, who is this constant, let's call it uh, party pooper. I'm sorry, don't know how else to say it. A lot of people have that idea that, oh, I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't, because God doesn't, you know, if you just got rid of that and you just did everything you wanted, what would you end up with? You know, in Romans chapter 1 as well, God gives them up, God gives them up, and God gives them over. Because they did, they withheld the truth in their unrighteousness. They loved the idea of that sin so much that they would find absolute fulfillment in pursuing that that God says, you know what? I'm going to leave you to do that. And the end of the chapter just shows you where that ended up. Absolute emptiness, far from God, full of sin. So, self-control over self-gratification. Point number six, Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 10. Ecclesiastes 9, verse 10. Do it for God. Ecclesiastes 9 verse 10 says, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, 
do it with all thy might. For there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave, whether thou goest. Do what you do with all of your heart. In the New Testament, we have similar phrases, but it says, whatsoever you do, do it as unto the Lord, right? So, and that means everything. And I I think this is obviously somewhat overarching and, and somewhat encompasses everything, but I think it's very important because this is how you find purpose in the most mundane things, right? There are a lot of mundane things in life. <laughs> there are a lot of things that are not spectacular, but you've got to do it and do it as unto the Lord. And I think part of that is found in Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 1 says, A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of one's birth. A good name is better than precious ointment. How do you have a good name? A good name is usually associated with someone who's honest, someone who's hardworking, someone who's dependable, someone who just does what needs to be done, right? So do what you do for the Lord because then you'll do it in, in a dependable way, in a hardworking way, in an honest way. And I think man's praises, man's, let's call it, the, when they praise you and say you've been, you are successful by their standard, that fails in comparison to God saying, faithful servant, good name, right? In God's sight. And so with those two in contrast, I, 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 when, I, when I read that, I thought, do it for God, have a good name. And I thought to myself, as a parent, what am I instilling in my child? The, this idea that there's satisfaction in getting the things that you want. Am I instilling um, this? Am I, am I growing a, a, this unsatiated thing in them, in myself? Or am I telling them that character is way more, a good name is way more important? And I think for us as well, a good name is way more important than someone looking at you and saying, sure, he's got a lot of money. Okay, what about God's praise for someone who is living the way God wants him to live? In closing, I want to close with what Solomon closed with, Ecclesiastes chapter 12. So Solomon concludes this for us in Ecclesiastes 12. And verse, 12, or verse 13, he says, But let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Now, technically, I could have started the sermon here and finished it here. Because this answers our question. We are saying, what is the purposeful life? The whole duty of man. Fear God and keep his commandments. So why did I waste your time with six points? Well, because these six points fall into this. If you fear God, it means you revere, you acknowledge that he is supreme, that his words are the words of life, that his words 
are the things that should conduct your life. And if you keep His commandments, you say His words are the things which I need to take into my heart and apply in my life. So enjoy your portion because God gave it to you. You know what we need to do, especially when it comes, like enjoy your portion means be here, be in the present. Embrace the season. You cannot embrace the season if you don't fear God. If you do not believe that there is a God and that there is purpose to your existence and the way you live, you cannot embrace every season. So fearing God, keeping His commandments fall right. Those are the sub-points, I want to say. And your willingness to submit yourself and subject your soul, your flesh, to the opposite of those things. So if you're not willing to say, I'm going to be here, I'm going to be here now, I'm going I'm to embrace the things which God has given me, I'm, I'm going to take the season because God is going to do a good work through this, I'm going to accept in faith that getting that stuff is not going to satisfy. So less is more. Being content. Being part of that community. If that means I need to chunk out, take some chunks out of my schedule so that I can be there, so that I can grow, so that I can be, build friendships, so that I can be part of a community, I'm going to do it. I'm going to say no to those things. That's self-control. I'm going to exercise that self-restraint. Your willingness to change your mind, to reorder your, your decisions and your conduct to that will show how much you fear God and will show how much you're willing to live, um, keep His commandments. But I don't want to forsake mentioning this. And that is that if you are not saved, these things will help. They will help. If you can apply these things to some extent, they will help. All right? But you're going to struggle with many of them. How are you going to embrace a dark season if you have no hope that it has any future value? How are you going to have <laughs> that, that will? How are you going to have that... That, 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 that the comforter who has come and who has given us power, that Holy Spirit of God dwelling in you to overcome that self-gratification desire inside of you. So you are going to struggle and you're not going to be very successful at this. But also, if you're not saved, the thing that we are commanded to do here is to fear God and to keep His commandments. Fearing God means... I acknowledge that God is there. I am here. He is holy. I need to be in subjection to Him. He has said things. I need to listen. Now, if God said that He is going to, what does verse 14 say? For God shall bring every work into judgment and every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. If you're going to stand before God and that is what's going to happen, He's going to judge every man. If you fear him, you want to know what you can do about that. And what we can do about that is nothing. <laughs> we, nothing. But understanding that God, as much as he is just, as much as he is holy, made a way for us 
to be made righteous. And that is through Jesus Christ. And he said, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. If you fear God, you will submit to that and understand that I cannot justify myself. My obedience to or attempt at is going to end up in a vain pursuit. But if I submit myself to Christ, Him as my Lord, yield myself to Him, acknowledge that He's the only one who can save me, forgive me of all of my unrighteousness, then the pursuit starts. And then the pursuit has eternal value. And I think we need to put those things in perspective. We want to be, be, become that new creation that can fulfill our created purpose, which is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Amen. Brother, if you close us. Renier, if you don't mind playing some music softly, heads bowed and eyes closed, I'd like for us to take a minute or two and let these seeds sink in deep. Now, we've been hearing in weeks prior about the fowls of the air coming to snatch away the seed. Don't let them snatch this stuff away. You got some great seed this morning. This will help you. I got my nuggets this morning, right? I got more than one. I got helped this morning. I don't know how anybody that's, that, that listened to this could not walk away with something they could immediately apply. I got my nugget. Did you get yours? I knew that I would be coming up here. So I didn't come down to the altar to pray, but I wanted to. Man, God was speaking to my heart. He's blessed me. I got a good portion. Thank God for it. This thought's been prevailing in my mind for the last month or so. This is a life worth living. Now, if you're saved, you can say that. This is a life worth living. This is a race worth running. It is a fight worth fighting. Paul said, I have fought a good fight. Right? It was worth fighting. If it's about reputation or money, you're going to leave all that behind. That's not worth fighting for. That's not worth the time or the effort. David said in the book of Psalms, every man at his best state is altogether vanity. At his best state. Because man separate from God's purpose is purposeless. You take a moment, if you need to come forward and pray, just to solidify, to bury that seed deep in the heart, you do that. Some are praying. If you'd like to come forward and pray, listen, we do that so that you solidify and, and bury deep that seed. You can make a commitment to God to say, Lord, I want to do something about what I heard there. And if you've never been saved, and let's not take for granted that just because you've come to church for so many years that you're saved. 
if you personally have never received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you've never said, God, without you, without your Son, I don't care how hard I try, at my best state, I'm not going to make it. I'm not good enough to pass that judgment. Jesus died and paid for my sins. I'm trusting what He did, not what I'm doing. If you've never done something to that effect, friend, you need to be saved. The Bible says there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. You must. You must be born again, Jesus said. So if you've never done that, we're going to pray here in a moment and close the service. And if you've never been saved, would you please come find myself? You can find Garrett. Find somebody before you go and say, please help me. I want to make sure I understand this. I want to know for sure that I'm saved. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name, and I want to thank you, God. You spoke to my heart today. Thank you for feeding me. Lord, I'm going home full and satisfied. My, my cup, I can say, is running over. And Lord, you as my shepherd, you knew exactly what this sheep needed to have today. You made my soul, you restored it. Thank you, God. We have a number of blessings we can enjoy in this world as we've seen today. But Lord, they're all meaningful because, because you provided them you showed us what the purpose is and all those things and Lord as I close I want to pray for anybody here that's not saved might this be the day that they find their eternal purpose and meaning in the Lord Jesus Christ father it's good to be saved this morning we thank you for all you've done are doing will continue to do please have your hand upon us as we dismiss in Jesus name amen